Last week, Michael concluded our sermon series on Catching the Call and did a beautiful job lifting up, Here am I, send me. It was a way of embodying how we listen for, we discern our own gifts, and then how we can match those gifts with the needs of the world. And uh, you just did a wonderful job last week, so thank you. Today, I want to try to help us connect the dots with all the things we talked about in our early fall sermon series with the beginning of our stewardship sermon series, which is, there's a place for you in ministry. Now, I want to begin by saying that I'm a big proponent of the Christian faith being caught more than it's taught. Think about your own faith. I don't know exactly what it's been for you, but I suspect somewhere along the way, and perhaps more than once, someone around you, it could, be, could have been in your family, a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle, but somebody had an influence on you, and that in part is why you're sitting here today. I wouldn't be standing before you if it weren't for my own father. I've spoken about him before and the tremendous impact he had on me. Not by anything he said and not by one earth-shattering moment or experience, but by the continual way he lived his life. He tried to embody in how he lived the true spirit of Christ. He didn't talk about it. He didn't ram his personal beliefs. He didn't talk about Jesus all the time and how important it was to believe in him. What he did is he just applied those values and principles that he had learned and he just lived them. And one of the most profound impacts he had on me was the way he gave of himself in service. He volunteered on all sorts of community boards, but he didn't just serve on boards and go to meetings. He actually got involved in the lives of the people those agencies served. He taught in the GED program. He went into the inner city of our our town back when riots were going on and there was discord between the blacks and the whites in my community. And he went into those areas and he taught And he got called names for being a white person who went to serve with others who were different from himself. But that didn't didn't thwart him. He just kept doing it. He started a migrant ministry for, for Mexicans who actually came up from Mexico to Indiana and would pick tomatoes and other crops in the summertime and then go back. And they lived in shacks. And my dad started a ministry of softball and just hanging out with these folks. And I got to go as a boy. And all that rubbed off on me. And then when my dad was, had had a massive coronary and was in a coma, he was laying on a hospital bed and, um, and people would come to visit him. And they said, you know, your dad is doing, has done more just being here in this hospital bed 
than many people do in a lifetime. And what they meant was just by people remembering and now recognizing he could no longer do those things, it, it caused them to want to go out and make a difference. And it was that kind of a life, that Christ-like living, that impacted me so much that I decided I need to, to commit my life to the ministry and serving God. Now, there were other things, of course, that went into it, but that's just a part of it. So I'm a big believer that the Christian faith is caught as much as it's taught. Now, I want to talk about, because people often say, well, was your dad a, was your dad a minister? And I would say no, but he had more to do with my going into the ministry than anybody else, even though he never suggested I do so. But in some ways, he really was a minister. And that's what I want to reflect on today. John Castile talks about the role of all the people in the church. And here's what he wrote. Mission is given to everyone. The heresy that the mission of the church falls upon a few, particularly those who have been called in some special way and trained and ordained for it, That's wrought more disaster in the church than any errors about the inspiration of Scripture or the authenticity of the virgin birth. The mission of the church is given to the whole body of Christ. To be baptized Christian is to be given a ministry. Our rituals for baptism and for reception into church membership ought to ask along with, do you believe? It ought to ask the question, will you minister? The future of the lay people in and as the church can be described only in terms of what they promise to do in the world. Wow. That's a powerful statement. So what, what will we do in the world? You know, it, I think it would be kind of cool if we just went out and put a sign out on the front of the church. And if it said, the neighborhood church, two pastors and several hundred ministers. Because each one of you is a minister. Next Sunday, I got my weeks mixed up with the Vespers and everything, but next Sunday is actually um, Reformation Sunday. It's when we celebrate the Reformation and Martin Luther and what he did to kind of bring the whole movement where people could actually have direct access with God. And out of that Reformation came a phrase that has been very dear to us in the UCC, but it's true of all Protestants, and that is the priesthood of all believers. That means everyone is a minister. Everyone has a direct relationship with God, a direct call from God, and therefore been called to do ministry in behalf of Christ. The word ministry in the New Testament, in Greek, in the original language, is diakonos. Now, that may have a little bit of a ring to it, if you've ever heard the word deacon or diaconate. And that simply means one who serves. It's not an office. It's about a function. The New Testament is very clear. Ministry is an act of service done in the name of Christ. And it's not just something that those of us who are called in a particular way, because the only thing that sets me apart from you is that I have a particular call to specific roles. 
and function. But it doesn't make me any different, any better, and it certainly doesn't make what I do and my ministry different or better than anybody else's. We're all in this together. We're all part of the priesthood of believers. And you know, I just want to also mention, it's not a part-time job. It's a full-time call to be in the service of Christ. Well, this church has a rich history of service. Think, think about the Yule Parlor Parade and the years and years and years of the Yule Parlor Parade. And I think about our service to Beacon Light and how we helped start the Toberman House over in San Pedro and, and Harbor Interface Services. Our church was very instrumental in that. And now with our new commitment and a growing commitment to Family Promise and in the coming uh, time, we're going to be participating in Meals on Wheels and there are going to be additional ways for us to get involved in hands-on projects of mission. And surely our forebears in the faith ask themselves, how are we to respond to the call to serve? That's a question that has to be asked over and over. What is next in the chapter of our lives and in our life as the neighborhood church? For these are very critical times that we live in. I just wrote an article on Friday for the PV News. It will be coming out this week. And, and in it, I talked about my frustration with the whole political process and the election going on and how it just seems to be interminably long. And, um, but, but the point of my article, not I never would tell somebody how to vote, the point of the article was that once all this is over, we need to come together for the good of our country and for the good of the world so that we don't get caught up in who's right and who's wrong, who wins and who loses, but that we come together for the common good. And you'll see that connects to our scripture for this morning. You see, as Christians, we're called to place our hands in the service of Christ. Now that's, you know, it's, it's one thing to offer to serve on boards and committees in the church, and that's an important thing. We need to do that to keep our church functioning and vital and alive. But that's not all there is in our call to ministry. We are also called to reach out beyond the walls of the church with our hands. Because as we've said before, without our hands, Christ has no hands in the world. Jesus isn't around anymore. And as the body of Christ, we have to place our hands in the service of the world. So Christian mission in a world grown small and volatile desperately calls for churches like ours to be linked to society in helpful, hopeful, and hands-on ways. I want to read, again, just a portion of our scripture that, that Bob read for us in 1 Corinthians. He said, Paul writes, Now there are varieties of gifts, and that's what the choir sang about. But the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. To one is given through the Spirit and the utterance of wisdom. And then Paul goes on and lists a number of ways that we can take our particular gifts and use them 
for the wider common good. And, and, and that's what Michael was focusing on, how we all have different gifts, but we're called by the same God to use them. We have different gifts. We have different choices. And so to one is given the opportunity to serve on the board of trustees and to another on another board or committee. But then also some are called to serve through family promise and others through other vehicles and opportunities that will be there for us to get involved. We are to use our gifts for the common good. Now, I know I can't make anybody do it. I gave up on that a long time ago. People can sometimes be more stubborn than mules. But fortunately, people are smarter than mules, at least most of the time. You see, you know, as you sit here this morning, you know that the Lord wants you to serve. That's not the issue. The issue is, will you? And will you join with others in this church to reach out in the name of Christ? Many of us um, participate in some kind of physical exercise program or aerobics or other kinds of things. And you think back um, when you've ever learned a new discipline, whether it's yoga or some other discipline, you have to start at the beginning. And you get in the same place and you go through the same exercises over and over and over again. And that's the way it is in the church, even with worship. But once you become familiar enough with it to be confident, you can branch out, try new things, and be involved in growing and expanding ways. And how we use our spiritual muscles impacts how we will grow in our service and our call to ministry. As I mentioned, my early model was my father. I don't know who yours was, but I invite you to reflect on that individual or the people who've been important in your life, give thanks to them, and reconnect with that so that you can focus on your expanding, growing sense of ministry. There's a time to be comfortable, and there's a time to rest, and there's also a time to get out of our comfort zones and to do something more. So our stewardship series is beginning today. But I want to make it clear, stewardship has a lot more to do with than just money. We will talk about that. But stewardship is about all of life. All of life. All of your life as it's been given to you by God. It includes the physical and tangible things that are part of our lives. But it's much more than that. It's who we are. And how we use our distinctive gifts to make the world more in line with God's kingdom. It's all of life. So I want to read from the other passage from 2 Corinthians that Susie read for us. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, a cheerful, happy, joyous giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you 
may share abundantly in every good work. This passage gets used a lot at stewardship time, and it's often focused on the giving part. So I don't want to underestimate or underplay that. But I want to focus on this last, last phrase. So that you may share abundantly in every good work. That's what stewardship is about. For the more you give of yourself, the more you live. Now, you probably noticed the new bulletin cover. It's pretty, pretty neat. Um, it's got a community of people gathered, symbolizing our diversity, but our oneness here at the neighborhood church, with the idea that there's a place for you. There's a place for each and every one of us in the life of faith and in our church. And it connects to the bulletin cover that we had throughout the early fall sermon series, the quote by Frederick Buechner called, where he said, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meets. That's the connection. That's the connection we're trying to get at. And it was that wonderful mystic of the 16th century, St. Teresa of Avila, who founded 20 convents as part of her ministry. She founded 20 convents. And in her book, The Interior Castle, I love that phrase, The Interior Castle, where she talks about the chamber of the soul being the place where God is most present. She had two things, the first a bit whimsical and the second more serious. She first wrote, Once, when tipped off her mule while crossing a stream, she raised her eyes to heaven and prayed this prayer. Lord, if this is how you treat your servants, it's no wonder you have so few of them. But in a more serious moment, she wrote, Always think of yourself as everyone's servant. Look for Christ our Lord in everyone, and you will then have respect and reverence for all. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we can be ambassadors of God's love in the world today and tomorrow, and in each of our tomorrows, offering our hands in God's service.